All right, this is the A. I'm Reg Clay. Usually I would have uh, Norman G on, but Norman is on vacation. So um, it's just me and uh, a very special guest of mine, Eli Sunny. I want to say Enriquez. Orquiza. Orquiza, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Eli Orquiza. And uh, you and I, we shared the stage at the. Um, it was at the, um, I want to say, the Playwrights Center of San Francisco. Francisco. Exactly. Yeah, and you. I know, I know. That was a couple of years ago, um, and uh, now you uh, just finished directing a piece at Theatre Rhino. Yes, yes, I did. What piece was that? It's called Driven by Bonnie B. Alvarez. It's a Filipino-American play. Mm -hmm. Um, I just want to adjust your mic a little bit. Go ahead. Of course. Uh Set here in um, the Bay Area, and Bonnie is a great friend of mine who writes a lot about the diaspora and the Filipino-American experience, and... You know, I'm so grateful for Theodore Rhinoceros to be able to produce this play. Uh, two years ago, we did a stage reading workshop of it with Theodore Rhinoceros, and mm-hmm. it finally, you know, was produced for its world premiere, and we had such an amazing collaboration with Alan Quismorio, Earl yeah, Pauz, yeah. and Hector Zavala, and so, so incredible actors mm-hmm. that literally gave all their heart and dedication to the work that we had such amazing reviews all critical and positive and um and and upcoming i'm gonna be helping develop another bonnie b alvarez play for playwrights foundation with graham smith Uh, and yeah yeah i'm I'm just so so grateful and so excited for all these artistic collaborations with amazing local bay area artists yeah it's a small world because not only have uh, you and i've worked at the playwright center but you've worked with alan kismorio and alan had directed me uh i was in um um uh bindlestiff usually has what they call um um stories high yes and i was in stories high 11 uh, which was in there, uh, the space. It was a new space at the time. It's been a couple of years since then. But, um, yeah, so, you know, the, you directing um, Alan, who directed me, you know, sort of, so it's a small <laughs> world. And how, small, how, small world. how is Alan these days? I'm trying to get him on, in the chair, too. You know, Alan is super busy, and, you know, Driven was his first um, mm-hmm. venture back on the stage, his yeah. first full length for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he is so dedicated. He's so creative. A lot of his actors' impulse are very strong. He mm-hmm. makes strong choices. And, and yeah, he's such a delight to watch on stage. Definitely, definitely would love to collaborate with him again in the future. Yeah. Have you, um, speaking of Bindlestiff, have you worked with Bindlestiff before? I have. Yeah, okay. I've directed, acted at Bindlestiff Studio. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, at my first stage of being an artist was my creative home. Okay. Um, being around Filipino-American artists, Filipino um, creatives yeah. is just so, I don't know, something so beautiful and profound about it, being just around your community and your sure. family and yeah. creating art together. Yeah, yeah. They celebrated their 30th anniversary, they and did. we had um, – we had oh shucks I forget the uh, the guy's name but um, we we've, we've had several Bindlestiff folks on uh, we've had Conrad Panganaban on mm-hmm. and we've had um, uh, she's a um, um, I'm trying to remember the uh, the woman we've we've had um, Michael Dorado and we've mm-hmm. had uh, uh, a bunch of uh, folks from Bindlestiff talk about you know the impact on Bindlestiff's uh, Bindlestiff's lives. Yeah, I hear your hot water, so I'm going to pause just for a second <laughs> so right. that I can uh, get that on. Hold on. 
All right, and we are back. Yeah, the person I was thinking about was Percy Arcebal. Um, Percy. Uh, yeah, but he's one of the – I mean, there are a lot of members of, who have gone in and out of Bendelstead. There's mm-hmm. a woman in Catabasco who is uh, now in L.A., and she has her own little um, one-woman show that she does. And she's – but uh, it's wonderful seeing a lot of the folks who've come out of Bendelstead. <laughs> and there's the whistle. <laughs> Hold up another second. <laughs> Back, yeah. So, in any case, uh, yeah, there are a lot of folks who have uh, come out of Bendel Stiff, um, being a young budding artist and just moving yes. on to other things. Like Crystal Piabonte, John. Oh, I don't I know love if you know Crystal. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic, and she's she's doing work now at ACT. She just became Equity, so you know, and that's sort of been the mantra for Bendel Stiff, bringing in Philippine actors and creatives. I mean, those who write, those mm-hmm. who direct. And uh, not just keeping with them within the community, but also, and I think that was Alan Kismorio's when he was the, when he ran Bimbleston, mm-hmm. that was his mission, to make sure artists grow and they can do other things. That's what's so lovely about Bimbleston Studio is that, you know, it's this platform for newer emerging artists to just plant seeds and grow within your community and mm-hmm. be able to go out to different, you know, venues, different theater communities, and, and grow as an artist mm-hmm. um, and evolve and develop that way. And yeah. that, that's what I appreciate about it. It's so low stakes. Um, everyone's so supportive and caring and, and just rooting for each other. Um, that bond that you create with those artists is just yeah. terrific and wonderful to have. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, and I'm always uplifting um, not only Bendelstead, but there are other uh, little communities within the Bay Area theater community that wants to bring in new and budding artists yes. and to build them up. Um, I want to get more. We'll talk a little bit more, about, more about your life and all that sort of, of stuff. How was your holiday season? How was your Christmas? Pretty good. I, I actually spent most of the majority of it with my family and friends. Um, cool. Ate so much. I was just talking to my friend about like. Um, one of my best friends from college mm-hmm. um, and I and my mom spent the New Year's mm-hmm. um, in Reno. Okay. And we were just like, you know, gambling and eating. And <laughs> okay. I got back yesterday and I gained about five pounds within the last few days. So I okay. need to shed all of these <laughs> weight that I gained. Um, no, no, no. Not it's a good way to start the year, but it's, for those you know. For those who don't know Eli, Eli <laughs> looks like, I mean, literally, you come right out of Central Casting, you know, just – Really, really, uh, <laughs> very, very fit and all that sort of stuff. But, but yeah, no, no, Reno. So that's fa- and do you have family in Reno? No, I don't. Uh, okay. It's my second time um, in Reno. My mom's friend uh, yeah. frequent Reno a lot. Mm-hmm. She's a big gambler. Okay. She never said that, but, you know, it's, like it's she's okay. – <laughs> <laughs> she, she goes at least, you know, five times a year. And yeah. And she just sits at the casino uh-huh. and just keeps pressing buttons. <laughs> and it's ridiculous to watch. Yeah. Um, well, at least, I mean, no one's losing their mortgage or anything like that, right. hopefully. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. It's all fun. Um, there are there are not a lot of current events. I mean, there's – I mean, Trump has – people are a little worried that maybe we're going to war with Iran. Yeah. Um, so that's – what I'm not going to ask you any in-depth details, but just what do you think? Are you optimistic about 2020? Are you optimistic about the election that's coming up? You know – I would say I would like to be optimistic, but I'm really not. Mm. I mean, for the past four years, it's been this riotous, you know, year after year, it's been incredible, incredibly stressful for people of color, yeah, um, especially for migrants. 
community, yeah. um, black and brown community, and, and it's been, you know, there's a war at home that we don't focus on, mm -hmm. um, and we always kind of take away the focus from what's happening here and mm -hmm. doing a lot of distractions. Yeah. It's sad that we started off 2020 with this whole event that just happened. Yeah. Um, really not a good way to start, but it's a political act. Um, yeah, I, I get the feel that, uh, I mean, you know, there's an individual who was killed, and, of course, Trump is saying, well, he's a horrible person, and he needed to be killed, and I, I can't help but feeling, well, you want to distract folks from the Senate's version of mm -hmm. the impeachment hearings, and you don't want them to focus on that, and you want to sort of, and it's sort of been, I mean, being a history buff myself, mm -hmm. there are, unfortunately, a habit of some presidents who wants to be, be the winner of a war. Right. In order to win an election, you know, George Herbert w Walker Bush tried to do that in 1991, mm -hmm. and it didn't work, and Bill Clinton became president. Right. So I get the feeling that this is sort of happening again. Uh, it may be. But uh, are you optimistic? I mean, I have no idea what your political affiliation, but, I mean, are you optimistic with either Bernie or um, Biden or, you know, any one of the Democratic candidates? I really – Or Bloomberg, maybe. I, I'm very optimistic with Bernie. Okay. Um, I, I lean very much on the liberal – Sure. Side sure. and and you know the politics right now here is is so stressful mm -hmm. and it, it's just I really c couldn't focus on it for the last few months because it's you know telling me mentally about like yeah all these backlashes and um, tug and pull and tug of war yeah happening. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, what about you? Are you optimistic at all about? I, I think so. I mean, I think that uh, I sort of wish that the Democrats would stop fighting against each other. Yes. I mean, I understand that it's sort of par for the course for candidates, especially when you have a large pool, to sort of bang heads together, and then in June, you know, someone wins the nomination, and then you can actually go after the president or go after the other party. I understand this is the ritual, but mm -hmm. it really takes away from the policy and actually solving things. I mean, we had one uh, – I don't know if you know who Morgan Pavey is, but she's a young local actress, and she works with kids. Mm. And she was saying, you know, I wonder how, what kids are learning about when they see today's politics or when they right. see the news. Is it just a bunch of folks just, you know, making all sorts of derogatory or bad comments about each other? Mm. How politics are influencing the newer generation? And I – I think you're a millennial. Would you consider yourself a millennial? I would consider myself yeah. a millennial. <laughs> so I, I think that a lot of millennials may push away from the conventions. Like no one wants to be a conventional Republican or a conventional Democrat. They're looking for another thing, either whether it's a progressive party or a libertarian party or right. something like that. And with that, I don't know where the future is. But mm. I still consider myself a traditional Democrat. I think this is the party that – you know, populate the that gave power to the civil rights movement mm -hmm. that I grew up in. I grew, I, I was born the year after Martin Luther King died, and you know, King. You know, when I go back to my grandmother's home, there's still a picture of King right there, and so we still hold you know those things really, really important to us. Right. So you know, that's the Democrat Party, and if I talked, if I were to, my grandmother died, I think, in 1998, but, you know, she grew up as a Republican because that was the party of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. So we have these traditions, you know. Um, the earlier generation has their traditions, and we have our traditions, and it'll be interesting to see what the millennials, what the new tradition will be for them, yeah, for it, you guys. It, it's so interesting because, you know, 
living and growing up in San Francisco mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, living there again now, I've noticed this whole thing within people my age of mm -hmm. being so apolitical, yeah. um, especially around uh, people of color mm. um, and, and being so proud about being so apolitical and not being able to, you know, be part of civic dialogue and civic engagement. And mm -hmm. to me, it's just like, why? Why are you apolitical? Like they, I, I think it's so dangerous um, to mm. be to be apolitical um, in our current political climate. Yeah. Um, especially as a person of color, um, I see that a lot in dating apps. Oh, um, sure. Oh, yeah. And of course. Labeling themselves mm -hmm. um, and being proud of <coughs> them. Yeah. And to me, it's just like, why? Yeah. And I tell you, that's exactly what Trump wants. Trump wants us, especially folks of color, to not be political, to not be active. I mean, it's the reason why he became president already. I mean, in 2016, we were so inactive that a group of people did not vote in certain counties right. for Hillary Clinton, which put you know Trump in. So it pays to be political. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting that you mentioned about people of color. You know, although I'm black. I can I'm, I care about Latino issues. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be Latino. You don't have to be black to care about black issues, Absolutely. or you don't have to be a woman to care about women's issues. I'm concerned about the demise of P Planned Parenthood. You know that a young sh uh, young woman, let's say who's um, who doesn't have the money to get an abortion, where's she going to go? Mm -hmm. And especially if she's raped or you know, something like that. About you know I don't have to be gay or lesbian to care about gay and lesbian right. issues. And what about these rural areas that won't allow people to marry or to uh, to celebrate, let's say, their their bondings or whatever? You know, can't even get a, a cake right? <coughs> because of people's religious beliefs and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, all of these issues are so intersectional that you can't just, like, compartmentalize right. things. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you may not be black, but let's say if there's a black kid who's shot by a cop, it doesn't matter whether the kid, you know, uh, is a criminal or not. He deserved his time in court. He won't get it because he's dead. That's an issue that we should that we should really really deal with. Right, absolutely. All right. Well, with that, and there's really not much else going on in the world. Uh, we've been talking, you know, in the past about the Peloton ads <laughs> and the craziness of just I don't know the cancel culture or whatever. But um, um, how do you feel about the 2010s being gone? Now we're in the 2020s. I mean, I don't even know what the 2010s represent. Did it represent anything to you? <laughs> That's such a funny question because to, I was just reflecting yesterday yeah. um, and within the, the past few days because I had a lot of free time this past month or two. Mm -hmm. um, what it meant for me and what it meant for my community and through the world. Yeah. And, you know, I like to think of myself as being very optimistic. Mm -hmm. But I was just jotting things down and I weighed in a lot more negatives than mm. positives that mm. happened, mm -hmm. um, especially here in the Bay Area, yeah. um, as an artist as well. And to me, that is very, very, mm -hmm. you know, it made me feel so defeated. Oh, but interesting. But also, I don't want to, you know, sulk in that, like, atmosphere and want to come out of that. Yeah. So I Why negative, if you don't mind me asking? It's... There's a lot of things that's happening locally mm -hmm. that isn't very much in favor of artists and sure, people sure. of color. Um, so to me, you know, as someone who's emerging in the theater mm -hmm. um, and being in that kind of 
scope and in, in, in the in the community yeah there's despite many amazing arts amazing performances amazing mm -hmm. things happening in the bay area it's still um there's still something so sad about it like loss um well yeah gentrification has hit the bay area hard especially yes. theater i mean the flight deck is gone mm. Uh, Off-Broadway West, a uh, company that I've worked with several times, I'm looking at several posters that I've done at Off-Broadway West, they're gone. Um, the Phoenix Theater is having a very hard time. Yeah. Linda Ayers Frederick, uh, she's done a fundraiser, and I helped out with that a little bit last week. I mean, there are wonderful success stories like uh, Bendelsiff Studios, right. 30 years and it's still rolling strong, but a lot of theater companies are struggling because, you know, the landlord wants their money. Right. So... Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading an article um, earlier this morning. There was about 400 businesses that was closed down in San Francisco mm. this past year alone. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is, you know, daunting. Yeah. Um, we're pushing out mom and pops. Yeah. Um, yeah businesses. Right. And yeah. we're pushing out a lot of people who are native to mm -hmm. the community. And for what? Right. And right. There's a lot of people who are not very much socially conscious sure um and not being part of the conversation or the community and mm -hmm. especially you know <laughs> in our current times there's a lot of people who are who are who are affluent mm -hmm. and who consume a lot of arts yeah um, but there's not a specific patronage for it or respect it's just a bunch of you know I've done that, and I've seen that. What's next for me? Sure, sure. No, I totally understand. I'm going to take a quick break because I want to get a glassing, uh, get some, um, get something sure. to drink, and then we're going to get into an ordinance story. So hold Great. on for just one second. <coughs> All right, and we are back, and we're going to go into an ordinance story. Eli Orkiza. Um, are, are you born and raised here in the Bay? I was born in the Philippines, Okay, um, and then I moved here. When I was about nine or ten, which was over a decade ago. Wow! <laughs> I haven't been back. My my dad and my mom has been, you know, encouraging me to visit the Philippines, but I have never had the yeah. chance to. What what province? I was born in Manila. Manila. Yeah. Wow, that's the big one. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. on. Do you still have memories of Manila? I do. Okay. I do. I, I you know I very much hold on to the the memories that I've had growing up and mm -hmm. I don't want to lose them. I, I think they're an integral part of my, you know, identity and my belonging in the world and you know, that's f to me identity is so important. Yeah. And that's, you know, the fabric of my mm -hmm. humanity. Um yeah, I, I've always desired to to come back, but one day, maybe next year. Sure. No, I've had I've had a couple of friends who are uh, Filipino. Um Filipina as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Joanne, Joanne Lorenzano, um, who is uh, married to a very good friend of mine. Matter of fact, they met in theater. Yeah. There's a company called Theater Rhubarb. And also, I don't know if you know who Mara, Mara Sotelo, I think it's Mara Sotelo. I don't think I've. Uh, yeah, she and I, we acted in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Mm. And uh, although she's Filipina, she's not been affiliated with Bindlestiff. But she's a rising Filipina star. Nice. But in any case, uh, they've talked about coming from the Philippines, and they really talk about more about their parents' stories mm -hmm. um, than their stories, because they remember really just growing up here in, um, in, in America. Excuse me, I have another podcast called I'm an American Too, where I talk to non-Americans mm -hmm. and get their views on American life. 
Um, what, what were your parents' stories? I mean, just coming, migrating from the Philippines. Yeah, my my family has been here in in the America mm-hmm. since for in the the forties and the fifties. Oh, okay. Um, unfortunately, I don't know much about you know my heritage. Okay. Um, who you know are from the Americas. Yeah. But my dad is a professional golfer, and he spends four months out of the year in the Philippines and Asia traveling. Oh, nice. He must, be, he must be good. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> if he's been doing it and he hasn't had to do anything else, that's not bad. Yeah, he, he enjoys going back there, especially at his age right now, mm-hmm. enjoying the weather, the warmth. Sure. Um, so he escapes winter. Yeah. Um, he goes back every November and comes back in February okay. just to, you know, to tour and travel and you know, spend time with family and friends yeah. and relatives. How about your stuff. mom? What does she do? My mom is at home right now. She's she's a big supporter of my the stuff that I do. She's very resilient and such a strong individual. Wonderful. Um, always, uh, it's so interesting because I, you know, I am now living just four blocks away from where I grew up, uh-huh. and my mom and my parents, my family, still lives there. So wow. I walk down the block just to mm-hmm. have like that homemade feel of yeah. food and just to spend time. I- it's wonderful. Very cool. Uh, you have siblings? I do. Okay. I do. I have one older brother and two younger siblings whom okay. I'm very, very close with. <coughs> now, were you involved in theater when you were young? Like, did you do like plays when you were in elementary school? That's sort what of I stuff? didn't. Yeah. Oh, okay. My first encounter with theater was in high school. And even then, my theater or my high school did not have any theater program or at least arts programming at the time. Um, I went to Phillips and Salad Burton ac- Academic High School in mm-hmm. San Francisco. And the only art programmings that they had then was choir mm-hmm. and ceramics. Mm. And my wonderful, wonderful English teacher and math teacher, Erica Perdue and mm-hmm. uh, Maggie Sullivan, um, they both, you know, spent their own money uh, to build the first ever drama club. Wow, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, they would build the set at their home and Mm -hmm. bring it to school. And their dedication and passion to supporting Mm -hmm. the arts really inspired me um, to pursue it. But I didn't know then at the time that I could do it Mm -hmm. um, as someone who's just being exposed to it or not being able to recognize people that look like me on stage Mm -hmm. and not being able to afford to go to see theater. Yeah. Um, I was just looking, you know, on Facebook recently, you know, how, like, Facebook reminds you of, like, this happened. You posted this years Oh, that's back. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so fascinating because when I was a junior, it w- this was posted in 2012. Okay. And you, uh, were, you were in the 11th grade then? I was. Okay. Yeah. I, it was around this time yeah. uh, of the year. And I said something like, you know – I'm not looking forward to going back to school, mm-hmm. but I'm making myself go back because I have play practice. <laughs> and, and, and it's so bad because I was, uh, you know, I was a very diligent um, student my freshman and sophomore year, mm-hmm. top of my game. And yeah. then beginning my junior and senior year, I started rebelling. Mm. Um, I started not going to class. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that teenage angst. And, um, yeah. Going to going to school mm-hmm. very very late every single t- day. Sometimes I would you know 
get to school at lunchtime and eat. <laughs> And then and then go back home around three. So I would spend three hours. At I can't school. imagine your parents allowing you to do that. You know, I didn't tell them. Okay. Yeah, and I was such such a bad student to my huh. junior and uh, senior year of high school. Uh huh. And and reflecting back and thinking retroactively, like how did I get into Berkeley with <laughs> <laughs> with, with how crazy I was mm-hmm. then? Um, well, sometimes you can be so smart that you can be bored. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. It's ridiculous. It, like, you know, the way public education mm-hmm. is being taught um, and the way that we slash the funding for the arts sure. constantly, mm-hmm. um, it's really not allowing a lot of students to just breathe um, and think about, you know, creative things. It's a lot of push for finance and STEM, yeah. um, science, technology, engineering, <coughs> math, and yeah. And oftentimes that's not really an option for a lot of students and mm-hmm. not a reality for, for some of them. And often the art really does save lives. It really does. I mean, I talk about it all the time. I went to school at Duke Ellington School of the Arts mm-hmm. in wa- Washington, D.C. And so many of my uh, classmates who have now grown and who sometimes who some now still teach at Duke Ellington, yeah. how it saved our lives. I mean, you know, we're running the streets, a lot of us. Uh, it was during the time of the crack cocaine epidemic mm. of the mid-'80s. And um, you're absolutely right. You know, we did have math and, and English and sciences, but that really didn't appeal to us. And right. we really needed to have arts to sort of help us connect with our emotions oh, and deal with a lot of social issues that, it, you know, kids deal with even now. So... Arts funding is so, so, so important, and you're right, you know, with the lack of it, I don't know what kids are going to do now. Yeah. 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 So you got into Berkeley. Did you get a scholarship, or uh, did you – how did you – did you did you study theater there? I did. Okay. Um, I, I got a full ride to, to Berkeley. Right and, on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so, so grateful for mm-hmm. it that I didn't have to – um, think about the financial. Yeah, and I'm sure your parents were happy too. They're very, very happy and mm-hmm. they're very proud. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied theater <coughs> and performance studies at Berkeley. Um, loved the entire department, loved the people in it, but mm. I had such difficulties grappling with the administration mm. um, and, and really the politics of casting too and the politics of like the whole theater and performance studies at Berkeley. I thought as a student at the time, it was really so intangible and such a reach for um, students of color to mm-hmm. be able to, you know, be invited or have the access to the main stage. And oftentimes, our stories and narratives were pushed to the wayside, and mm. and you really have to, you know, create opportunities for yourself. And which I did when you know I was a sophomore. Then I knew exactly that you know it would be difficult for me to be on the main stage having an acting track for um, Berkeley because you know a lot of actors that we see Mm -hmm. um, at the department are just the same people year by year by year. Oh, I guess they have their favorites. Right. And uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, The the friends that I've uh, created at Berkeley, Mm -hmm. I still keep in contact with and Mm -hmm. they are now doing such terrific work um, all over the place in New York and LA and Chicago. Mm Um, But, yeah, Berkeley, you know, I've met amazing faculties. I've met amazing local artists, Mm -hmm. visiting artists at Berkeley that I still keep in contact with. Right um, on. And um, uh, great mentors that I've 
you know, created then. And it really did help me create tools for myself to be able to um, work and be ready for yeah. the outside world, which I'm very appreciative about. And, you know, amazing, amazing place to be in, being around intellectual and creative Absol individuals yeah. Yeah. every day. I'm always interested in, um, now when you studied, because, you know, I look at you as both an actor, but you're also very vibrant as a director. Um, do you see yourself as one or, or both, or is there one that you enjoy better than the other? You know, I used to love <coughs> acting for mm -hmm. the stage. I, you know, between, I think, 2013 to 2016 mm -hmm. or 17, I was mainly an actor. Okay. Um, and then it wasn't until later on that I decided that, you know, I can have a more powerful voice as a director. Mm. Um, I can have agency as yeah. an artist that yeah. way, mm -hmm. um, especially championing works um, – queer works and Asian-American works, which sure. are lacking in San Francisco. Um, yeah, which is odd. You would think that this would be the place for that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I, I would say at this point I'm 90% much in favor of directing and 10% in the acting world. Mm -hmm. um, I still do a lot of my acting through commercial and film work, okay. um, which to me is – is good enough because they pay. <laughs> yeah, no, usually they pay well. And usually they can fund what the stuff that you really yes, want to do. Yes, and, and oftentimes, you know, like I would do a commercial work, you know, for two or three days, and that would be – that would help me pay for, you know, rent for mm -hmm. the next, you know, two months or so. Mm -hmm. um, whereas you would have to scour for that for working on the theater because there's not a lot of um, – Yeah. Um, they're not a lot of jobs, and they're yeah. not a lot of good-paying jobs. Right. I, you know, we had a uh, director, Susan Evans, who runs the Town Hall Theater in mm -hmm. Lafayette. I don't know if you know the Town yeah. Hall Theater. And she talked about how nowadays, you know, um, actors have to be in four or five shows per year, um, sometimes shows while they're running at the same time, mm -hmm. because it's the only way that they can sustain themselves. Right. And, and, and oftentimes, too, that, mm -hmm. you know – if she's talking about that four or five jobs, mm -hmm. it needs to be a, an equity contract. Otherwise, you right. know, those <coughs> paying um, gigs are, what, 300 a, a, a sure. stipend? Yeah. yeah, which is really nothing in the Bay it, Area. It's really nothing. Yeah, that yeah. pays for your BART. <laughs> <laughs> right, or your gas. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, when you were, when you were in Berkeley, mm -hmm. um, what sort of um, – um, you know, Norman and I talk about this all the time. What yeah. sort of acting techniques did you learn? Did you learn Stanislavski and beats and objectives, yes. things like that? Um, the main ha uh, work that I did was Stanislavski work um, at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. We had text and technique, um, Shakespeare, classical mm -hmm. theater. So we were exposed to different styles of mm -hmm. theater, um, which I'm very grateful for being uh, able to really – be a versatile actor okay. and, and step into the, these roles. Sure. Um, as far as directing, did you have any training there or was it really – did you have – did you get more of your training technique just sort of being out there in the world? Yeah, pretty yeah. much okay. um, as a director. I We had uh, an excellent directing programming at Berkeley, but I unfortunately did not take advantage of it. So okay. I didn't take any classes at Berkeley. Um, so all of – you know, the stuff that I know mm -hmm. and learned 
uh, work from just observing people and being inside the work. Yeah. Well, I found as an actor, the best directors that I've had have been those who have been actors yes. uh, beforehand. And some of the worst mm-hmm. directors just couldn't, simply couldn't talk the language right. that I knew. Absolutely. That's what I feel mm-hmm. too, like being directed by actors mm-hmm. is a lot more conducive to the work because you, yes. ha- you share the same language and you know how to talk to each other mm-hmm. um, and you know how to communicate what you want. Right. Um, whereas some some artists who are mainly director, it's just mm-hmm. pulling teeth sometimes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, you know, I've also worked with directors who are mainly directors and they're incredible and intelligent in their own way. Yeah. Um, and each one has their own process, you know. And yeah, yeah. Speaking of which um, – so we had one, um, Richard Harder, we had him on, and he talked about his sort of directing technique. Mm-hmm. And I've been a stage manager for Richard Harder, uh, who operates Off-Broadway West. They did Hedda Gobbler, Master Harold and the Boys, and they won a TBA mm-hmm. award for The Birthday Party, which is a pincher piece. But his technique is very um, – he, he's very – as far as blocking is concerned, he will allow the actors, okay, for the first day of rehearsal, just do what you want to do. <clears throat> have the book in your hand, just move around, whatever, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what I like, but I'm going to give you guys full reign to just do whatever you want. Susan Evans, on the other hand, and I've worked with her several times. Uh, we used to be a part of a theater company called Bindle, I'm sorry, not Bindlestiff, but um, EastEnders Repertory Company, and she's totally different. She believes in blocking everything from the mm-hmm. very beginning, and she'll make adjustments or allow you to make adjustments as an actor as it goes on. But she'll give the she'll present the foundation and the boundaries from the very beginning. What are you, what are your sort of techniques? Are you sort of a let your, let the actors go, or do you believe in structure from the very beginning? You know, I straddle between both. I'm mm-hmm. a very text based director. I, I really like um, spend a lot of t- of the time in the text. Um, mm-hmm. My process with the actors would be, you know, the first week of rehearsals we would do text work mm-hmm. and analysis. Yeah. Um, and then once we put it up on its feet, um, I really let the actor just do uh, what you know they can do mm-hmm. with the work and their bodies mm-hmm. and in relation to each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't like going to rehearsals coming in with a set of thoughts or blockings and ideas. Yeah. I'd like to be surprised by the actors and surprise myself in the process. Um, and I really, really like sharing and being, you know, in in collaboration with the artists that I'm working with, mm-hmm. um, especially as a director, because uh, uh, most of the time, you know, the actors are putting themselves in a vo- very bu- vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. And I'd like for them to be at their most comfortable and confident on stage. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when something goes super wrong yeah then i would be like hey let's try something else what Mm -hmm. can you offer give me three things that you can do with this specific thing yeah Um, yeah and you know we've it's you it's interesting when you mention things go wrong because there's some directors who know how to talk to actors there's some directors who really don't we had a um a friend of mine craig souza Mm -hmm. who uh has he he is another guy who went from acting into directing and he was talking about i guess there was a piece called um Scott, a good friend of ours, Scott Munson, had written a piece. Oh, shucks. Um, I wish I could remember. Um, it's it's an adaptation of a Victorian piece. Basically, mm. it was set in the 1960s, and it was supposed to be very, very um, 
a, a comedy, sort of a slapstick comedy, mm-hmm. and there was one actor who wasn't getting the comedy. Um, shucks, I wish I wish understood the piece. But in any case, his problem as a director was getting the actor to understand where the comedy was going, and he simply couldn't do it at all. And he had to bring in a friend of his to sort of uh, have the director. I guess the solution was to get the, the actor to play it as serious as possible, and mm. it came out as being funny. Yeah. But I guess the the question I would have is, have you had to deal with an actor who you couldn't really reach? Maybe you uh, you thought that you understood this actor during the um, casting. You know, you saw a good monologue or whatever, and then all of a sudden during the rehearsal process, you're like, oh, no, I don't know how to reach this person. Yeah. Have you had to deal with that? Recently, yes, I okay. have. Okay. Um, I was uh, directing a show um, at the – the Academy of Arts University just mm-hmm. this past winter. And the majority of them are trained in the style of film. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the actors who is in his junior year, mm-hmm. uh, does not, un- surprisingly, does mm-hmm. not have um, an idea of beats. Oh. So we're mm-hmm. working with comedy. So sure. the comedic timing is you know, key and essential to the mm-hmm. storytelling of mm-hmm. it. And every time, oh my goodness, every time he would talk with the actor, with his scene partner, it would just be like, speech, beat. Mm. Speech, beat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've given him a lot of um, notes about, you know, take the air out and let's, you know, move the story forward and all of that. But he just couldn't get it within his body. So I introduced... Um, uh, song, music, okay. um, habanero. Uh, ah, I forgot the the classical music that I uh, that I introduced to the text. So that every time there is this like upbeat music, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's three of them. Um, I said, you know, let's do this scene mm-hmm. within the limits of the music, <coughs> mm-hmm. um, so that we can, you know find the rhythm, find the beat of it. Yeah. And it was still a struggle, but eventually, you know, I, I think for me, working with actors who have difficulties with the work in the text, it's just figuring out what they're, you know, what they excel in or their strengths yeah. as actors and just pulling them out. Um, yeah, I've, I've talked with the Norma. We've had conversations about actors who go to school and actors who don't go to school. You know, there are a lot of folks who have natural abilities. Yes. And they don't necessarily need to go to school because Mm -hmm. they have enough life life experiences to bring to the table. Now, a disadvantage to that is sometimes you can approach text that you don't know how to approach. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you try to speak in, let's say, beats or let's say, you know, uh, in in technical terms. And they don't know what you're talking about because they never went to school. So that could be a problem. There's also the other extreme, but let's say someone who comes to school and let's say they learn the Meisner technique mm-hmm. and they can only do things like that. You know, right. so a lot of these techniques are almost like cults. It's like, <laughs> hey, it can only be this way. Can, it, can, it can be in an, another way. Right. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And uh, it may work for, let's say, a particular role, but they run into issues other, other ways. Um, but as far as a director mm-hmm. and, and, you, and a young director, I mean, I'm sure you've had to direct people who are much older than you. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that runs into an issue, or if you, I don't know if you get some eye rolling, like, oh, who, who can this person tell? <laughs> you, you know, I've had many of those experiences when you know I get eye rolls, um, mm-hmm. especially 
as a director, a younger uh, person of color oh, um, directing mm -hmm. actors, um, white actors, <coughs> older actors. Mm -hmm. um, and I also teach too. Um, oh, I, okay, I, fantastic. I teach at ACT, um, at Magic Theater, and I also teach at Stage Bridge. Right on. Um, and, and Stage Bridge is primarily for, you know, seniors okay. um, here in Oakland. Mm -hmm. But when directing a play, you know, I find it so interesting that sometimes, you know, it takes for me to really come in a very vulnerable position mm -hmm. um, uh, to be able to gain the trust mm -hmm. of those who are twice as old as I am. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I, I think it's just a lot of fear mm -hmm. um, coming directly from, you know, actors who are twice my age of, and, and also insecurities as well. Sure. Of like, what do you have to teach me as someone who's, you know, right. you know, twice as, you know, young mm -hmm. as I am. A and I still do uh, run into problems like that, mm -hmm. which at this point, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you know. You don't let it worry you. Yeah, no. Very good, very all. good. But I remember the, the play that I was talking about, An Ideal Husband, and it was mm. an adaptation of An Ideal Husband. Um, but, yeah, I think – and this is something that I had asked Don Monique Williams, who also um, – I love Don. Yeah, Don's fantastic, and she's directed me twice. And we talked about um, sometimes do you have to, as a director, put on the hat of the psychologist. Let's say you run into a beat or whatever, especially with drama. Mm -hmm where the emotions are very strong. You know, let's say there's, and usually within a play, there's a moment within a play where it's the, what I would call the money shot. It's like it's, this is the, the moment where, you know, the, the ultimate beat. This is the point where the audience needs to get it. This is the, the, the reason why the play is written. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that, that can draw a lot of emotions. Um, as an example, uh, I remember working on a piece you know the musical Heather, Heathers? Yes. And uh, Heathers, um, so we were working with a bunch of high school kids. And one high school kid really just broke out crying mm. during rehearsal because it dealt with suicide. If folks don't know the story, it deals with a bunch of you know really bratty young girls <laughs> who – and it gets into like high school stuff. And it gets into you know one girl falls in love with a guy who wants to blow up the, the school and all that sort of stuff. But it also gets to small little arcs. Like one child, one uh, little girl um, is bullied, and one is pressured because she has to be beautiful all the time, mm -hmm. and it gets to suicide. And you know, one child just broke down. And it's like, wow, you know, this is bringing up all sorts of triggering, recurring moments in my life. And the director had to sort of say, okay, let's just stop everything. Let's just have a conversation. But you sort of take off that hat of, wow, I've got a schedule and I've got to, you know, I've got things I've got to accomplish. Right. Into almost a psychologist. Mm. Are you comfortable with that? Have you had to deal with that at all? Yeah, I, I'm definitely very comfortable with that. Um, you know, just, I, I think as directors, we have to remember that actors are people too, and they're yeah. dealing with their own things yeah. um, every single day. And oftentimes actors get mm. very, uh, very close to the work. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had to deal with that recently too, mm -hmm. um, directing a show, and, and that this actor um, feels that the arc of his character is very much in line or very much in parallel with uh, the character in, in his life. Oh, interesting. That he couldn't his own personal life. Yeah, and that yeah. he couldn't bring in the work. Mm. Um, and I, I think, you know, sometimes 
it's okay to step out of the work and really have a conversation person to person or as a group, as an ensemble, to be able to, you know, provide support, elements of support mm -hmm. um, that they need yeah. um, in, in listening and understanding yeah. um, to be able to come out of that. And I, I feel like that is, I've also worked a lot with, uh, you know, film actors um, mm -hmm. around the Bay Area being, you know, working on film in commercials and industrial works myself. And I find it so interestingly that a lot of people could not uh, take a, take themselves away from the character. Oh, interesting! You know, and, and they become too embedded in yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think that's such an LA thing. Of, you know, <laughs> well, it, they call that almost extreme method acting. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. If like your character is in love with you know scene partner, it mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're in love with them. You know, yeah. that's why like. Divorce is very high <laughs> in LA because they think they're in love oh, with the sure. character, but you know. Yeah. But, but, I've, but I've also seen where sometimes that happens. As a matter of fact, you may not, you may know Melvin Badiola yes. and uh, his partner Jed, um, Jed Presario. Yeah. Now they came together. Yep. As a matter of fact, it was Stories High where they yeah, did yeah. come together they're and incredible artists. Yeah, yeah incredible yeah. love story. And so that's a, one example mm -hmm. of where you know love really can happen. Absolutely. But you know, obviously, it takes good communication it and does. understanding, and also still separating the art from mm -hmm. the real. I mean. Your real emotions from the art. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, when and when things like that happen, it, it just you know you have to come to collect to, to everyone mm -hmm. um, in the room and really just talk about it. Yeah. Um, and, and really providing that space. Yeah. For, for people. And there's also the other extreme of not being so devoid of your own emotions mm -hmm. that you can't bring it to the character. Right. Um, and that could be uh, tough as well. Um, have you? Let's see. Have you have you had to have you made any? Because I guess there's a talent with casting, mm -hmm. where you have to sort of read people, and let's say you can make mistakes like, "Wow, I thought that this person was this, but he or she really is that, or whatever." Um, have you had mis have you made mistakes in let's say casting? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, I have. Yeah. I have. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of actors who are very good at auditions. Sure. Very, very good. Unfortunately, that's not me. I'm <laughs> oh, no? <laughs> I would consider myself very, like, uh, auditions for me is very mm -hmm. weird. It can um, be, yeah. Especially these video. There's now these new, uh, there's a new thing, video auditions, which mm -hmm. is rather new for someone like me, where instead of going in front of you people, you submit, yeah. <laughs> you submit the video, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and going back to the question, um, Yes, you I, do you I, make mistakes. Yeah, I, I've definitely made mis mistakes in the past, mm -hmm. um, and you know those are learning, you know, experiences. Yeah, um, I would consider them learning curves instead of mistakes. Yeah, rather, but yeah. Well, I mean, it happens on both ways. I mean, if I'm an actor and I'm auditioning for a piece, I mean, if someone casts me, they've made a decision, but I've also made the decision mm -hmm. as a, as an actor to want the piece, and Absolutely. a director has every right to say, "Well, listen." You're not connecting to this character. Why did you audition for the piece mm -hmm. to begin with? I mean, what what drew you to the piece? Right. And we could sort of resolve why you're not making the connection, you know, in that way. Right. Have you found success as a director? I mean, uh, I had a friend of mine, Deb Carragher, another Philippine-American who is uh, a director here in the Bay Area. And she's found, and actually she's an older woman. She's, she's um, in her mid, I think mid-40s. And she's talked about how, and she went from Texas, she, she worked in the Bay, mm -hmm. went to Texas, went back to the Bay, 
and she's having a harder time finding um, jobs as a director, mm. ra- as an actor. And I have no idea what the business part of directing is. Like, that's like getting the role. I mean, um, is it hard? Is it hard landing a job as a director? I think so. I, I think it is a lot more difficult than being an actor mm-hmm. um, because you always have to constantly submit and pitch yeah. projects to theater companies and oftentimes they have a set theme or mm-hmm. season shows that they would want to yeah. produce and oftentimes you know the ideas or the, the shows that you're pitching isn't in line with what they have oh, interesting. to offer for the next season yeah. or so. How did you break into um, Theater Rhino? I, I'm very good friends with John Fisher. And I've had him on. I don't know if you've heard that episode. Yeah. Uh, but he was he was wonderful to talk to for he's an hour. An incredible, <laughs> but he's I'm an incredible person. He's very animated, and he has you know a lot of life and energy to he, him. A larger than life yeah. character. But I imagine you had to pitch your show to him when when you uh, did the show at, at um, the Rhino. Yeah. Interestingly, my first encounter with uh, theater rhinoceros was. Um, when I was a sophomore at Berkeley, okay. um, that was my first audition mm-hmm. um, for for theater rhinoceros. Um, and then, a few months following that, I was invited to be part of their reading series. Okay. And I've done a few reading series with them. And then, then I pitch um, uh, to direct a, a stage reading um, mm-hmm. with Joe Talley. Uh, and from then on, I, I've been constantly in collaboration with them. I I really really treasure that you know company because of the work that they do yeah um, yeah i champion a lot of queer works um mm-hmm. which surprisingly there isn't very many in 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 the bay area um so to have that little company mm-hmm. devoted to that and and ctc as well um you know shining light to the multi-dimensionality of queer folks um yeah and and I think Theater Rhinoceros, they've been doing it longer than I they think any other company yes. in all of the United the States. The longest running queer theater in the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's amazing. Um, was that your first director was that your directoral debut? Um, I've directed a, a few stuff before. Okay. Um, prior to this. Um, I've directed a show um, in Berkeley, a student show. Okay. Um, so I'm not um, like new new. Uh, to the directing world, although as I, as I started as an artist, mm-hmm. I was mainly just an actor. Okay. Um, but you at least had a portfolio. I mean, yes. you know, yeah. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. And I, I definitely credit a lot of my, uh, you know, works to, to one of my very good friends, um, M. Grant Smith, mm-hmm. who is, who I consider a very good friend and a mentor Yeah. as well. And he's off to, you know, all over the mm-hmm. country doing his own thing. He's okay. such a brilliant um, director, very creative, artistic, okay. and so, so intelligent. Very, yeah. very cool. It's funny, when I, uh, I've i talked to with a couple um, directors, like uh, Lily Tongue Crystal, huh. um, who's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's now in Minnesota, right. starting up another uh, Asian-American company there. Don Monique Williams, uh, Richard Harder, um, Susan Evans, a bunch of others. And I, what I found... Which surprised me, and Norman G, of course, is a director, mm-hmm. is that directors are sort of artists as well. I mean, sort of the unseen artist, where even the piece that is being performed is a statement it's in itself. Mm-hmm. And the selection, uh, you know, you're almost making a statement about what you want to say to the world. Right. 
what type of a statement do you, Eli, want to want to make as a director when you select pieces and when, you know, this is a piece directed by Eli? What statement are you making? You know, I always, always gravitate towards uh, plays that mm-hmm. has a profound statement, um, mm-hmm. a storytelling um, in relation to Asian American queer narratives. Mm-hmm. And I always say that, like, I use performing arts or theater as an agent of social change. Mm-hmm. Um as in terms of a statement, I don't have like a statement statement per se. Yeah, yeah. But I, I really would like to always highlight uh, stories or narratives that have never been um, been featured on the American stage before. Yeah. Do you have Do you ever have um, either playwrights or people pitch you ideas? Yes. As a director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Tom Bruett. He's a mm-hmm. he's a play. Playground company member. Okay. Um, I'm also a company member at Playground. Oh, right on. Um, Conrad A. Panganiban is a very, very good yeah, local Yeah, we've had him on. Yeah. Yes. And um, I've, oh, I've recently been just gravitating towards um, Bonnie B. Alvarez's work. Mm-hmm. And I, I continues, continuously read um, new plays mm-hmm. um, by uh, playwrights of color mm-hmm. um, and consume all of that daily right on yeah very very cool we're getting close to the hour mark um are let's see what what do you see as the future i know that you um things have not been good in the 2010s as far as theater you know as far as just uh, being able to make as much money as as you possibly can and you've also mentioned that you're doing um film and television work Mm -hmm. you know sometimes an actor have you thought about doing that as a director as well like I don't know, um, being a film director? I was uh, thinking of that, but to me, there's not a lot of gratification um, in the film world as I feel connected Mm -hmm. with the stage. But maybe that will change in the next few years or so. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really passionate about the the work of the stage and being, you know, in this communal Mm -hmm. environment with the actors and the artists and the audience member and to have that like community especially at this time where everyone's just in front of their phone in front of their laptop all of the time that we don't have that human connection that theater provides yeah 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 Yeah, that is sad i mean getting a younger generation as a matter of fact that's a question that i've asked some folks as a millennial i mean there are a lot of millennials who they're like, what do you mean? You want me to pay twenty dollars to go? To it's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. To to the theater? Why would I do that? So how do you get young folks to come to the theater? I think it's just making it um, accessible in mm. terms of ticket pricing, um, yeah. especially for for the community. And uh, outreaching um, is necessary. Um, making works that are, you know. Of the time, yeah. Um, make querying the works, um, making the works, uh, producing more of you know women's um, queer and people of colors work. I think is yeah, yeah. a way to go. Um, it, it's so so sad because just recently, I had uh, I run into this like experience where two patrons they mm-hmm. were they were a couple they yeah. were. Uh, half an hour late to a show mm. and they said that they w- they thought they were on time because they thought there were going to be previews <laughs> oh, which goodness. i thought was so stupid 
very, very stupid. It's Especially if you're holding the house for yeah, them. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's ridiculous that like, a lot of people doesn't even know mm-hmm. um, how it works, yeah. a live performance work. Um, uh, yeah, that is just amazing. Yeah. One question I forgot yeah, to ask yeah, yeah. you. Um, now, the artistic part of directing mm-hmm. is, I'm sure, fun and, and you know exciting. Mm-hmm. But then there's the administrative part of it. And I'm sure now that's something, especially if you haven't studied directing, was that an education for you? Was that was there some you know bumps and grinds as far as learning, like uh, man- maintaining a budget and maintaining a schedule? Uh, I remember the first time I, when I had produced uh, my piece, I had written a piece for Men in Paris, mm-hmm. and I had to really get into oh wait a minute, you know I got to get into scheduling and all. Oh, no, someone called in sick and. Uh, oh, I gotta make sure I got the money for this and <laughs> just the administrative. Was was that a big learning curve for you? It was. Hmm. It was definitely. Um, fortunately enough, all the collaborators I've had, the stage managers I've had for the shows that hmm. I've done in the past, have been stellar at their jobs cool. um, and maintaining, you know, the integrity of work and also making sure that we're on time, good, um, and on budget and everything yeah. working um, in order. Um, but I, I, I did have a lot of uh, moments, learning moments, in which, you know, I have to veer off from the schedule just to be able to make the work um, right mm-hmm. um, and really serving the script and backtracking and mm-hmm. all of that, um, yeah. especially with budgeting. And oftentimes, you know, working with uh, a small theater community, you always have to think um, ahead of the time of like what is important in terms mm-hmm. of the storytelling before you have to purchase something, yeah, um, and giving it a go, mm-hmm. um, and you know working with a smaller community theater too, you have to really think about you know what what elements of the show or mm-hmm. the production is integral yeah. um, to the storytelling of it to making. Uh, the big, the biggest impact with the very minimum that you've given. Yeah, and also dealing with a producer. I mean, yes. have you had to uh, have have you had any back and forths? Hopefully, po- hopefully more positive than negatives with a producer. Have you had, had to de- tell a producer, hey, this is what I need, and you know, I'm I can't, I'm not going to say no to it. Yeah, I, I've had, and oftentimes they're very receptive um, and open to it, which I super super appreciate. I've had not had. Um, an experience where a producer is just like, nope. <laughs> 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 Which I hope to continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what's so beautiful about the community here in the Bay Area is mm-hmm. that they're so um, open and collaborative in nature. Mm-hmm. Th- and they're open to listening. Um, and they're open to just, you know, your ideas and thoughts. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I treasure that. I value that so dearly yeah and yeah. i certainly hope and you know you we had opened up talking about how we hope the theater community sort of remain because you mm-hmm. know with uh, gentrification and just uh, how a lot of folks are, are leaving there was one bindle stiffer um lorna velasco mm-hmm. another yeah. um fantastic director who is now in i believe washington seattle be- yeah yeah because um you know, she and her uh, husband, uh, you know, I think her husband found a job, but mm-hmm. they, they just couldn't sustain themselves here in the Bay Area. And so you talk about this wonderful collaborative and this wonderful community. I just hope in the 2020s it stays. I, I really do hope so. Um, yeah. With the whole AB5 law that was just passed, I think it's really going to uh, derail the entire community with 
you know the limitations that it's mm-hmm. putting on the table yeah especially because we you know like the bay area co- theater community mm-hmm. operates in such freelance world fr- freelance uh community yeah, that's right. that yeah that most of them are not going to be able to s- sustain that especially theater com- communities mm-hmm. um theater companies who are staying afloat with very minimal budget that they cannot afford to hire all, all of these yeah artists yeah yeah resources like money and also resources like people i mean and it's fantastic that millennials like you are still thriving and contributing to the theater community yeah. so you're a big part of what makes the theater community such a vibrant community yeah. it's great to have you man are, are you thank, <laughs> yeah thank you so much for having me D- this did you uh, did you have fun i did this <laughs> is great just like talking about theater yeah, yeah no no it's <laughs> fantastic i'm gonna throw some birthdays out there um javier reyes uh he is a um He's an actor, but he's also an activist, and he works with uh, mainly um, uh, theater for uh, low uh, troubled youths and uh, youths in the low-income communities, and his birthday is today, and he does a fantastic job. So, Javier, happy birthday to you. Also, my mom, uh, the Reverend Joy Poindexter, I gave you a recall. Joy, um, uh, her, I'm trying to remember her, her well, she's not, she's not married, um, Joy Newman, Reverend Joy Newman, wow, wow I just remember his mom. Mom, happy birthday to you. I've given you a call already, and I love you so much. Also, Javier Reyes. Also, Jonathan Levy. Jonathan Levy is a a director and also a uh, musician, and he works with the uh, Play Cafe slash Musical Cafe. I don't know if you know those folks, Eli. No? Okay. Are you a singer at all? I don't. I oh. wish I could <laughs> sing. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of my family members yeah, are yeah. musically <coughs> talented <laughs> but uh <laughs> jonathan me. levy he uh i've known him he uh, directed me when i did the chain um and for those who don't know the musical cafe they work with budding musical writers and mu- uh, music yeah that's right musical writers and they submit twice every year um 20 minute mini musicals it's sort of like a play reading but it's a musical mm-hmm. And they present it uh, once every spring and once every fall. So if you're a budding musical writer, you can submit your stuff. Or if you're a young actor or director and you want to work with this group, check out the Musical Cafe and the Play Cafe. So, uh, Jonathan Levy, happy birthday to you. Also, um, (coughs) an old um, high school friend of mine, Krista Caceres, her maiden name is Krista Rivers. She was in Do the Right Thing which was a Spike Lee joint back in 1989. And uh, hopefully she's still in acting. But um, Krista, happy birthday to you. That's today. Also, um, Sunday, someone that you and I both know, Sean J. West. I love Sean J. Sean J., his birthday is tomorrow. And he's got a – he's donating. He has a little – every – you know, Facebook has these things where people – have donations and fundraisers for their birthday, and he is donating to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Mm. And I'll put a little plug in for that. But Sean Jay, happy birthday to you. His birthday is tomorrow. Happy birthday. Yeah. On Monday, e- Emma Elizabeth Mercier, her birthday is will be on Monday. She's a young actress. I worked with her when we did 110 in the Shade at the Douglas Morrison Theater. Also, on the same day, Mark N.A., we also worked at 110 in the Shade. So uh, that's on Monday, and let's see who else we have. Dave Garrett, we had him. 
a guest on the yay. Uh, he's a local actor. His birthday is Tuesday. And as I go on, ah, a very good friend of mine, <coughs> Craig Dickerson. He was a longtime EastEnderer, and uh, he and I shared the stage many times. And if you know my former podcast, um, You Gotta Have Faith, it was a Christian podcast. Before Craig moved to Texas, he was a part of that gentrification thing where people have just been pushed away. But he is now in Texas, and I want to wish Craig a bur good, happy birthday. His birthday will be Thursday. Also, another young actor, uh, Stephen McLeod. He and I was on the Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, and he is an upward mover and shaker, and I hope to have him on. And his birthday will be um, on the 9th. Also, Rona Siddiqui. Uh, Rona Siddiqui is now on Broadway. She uh, did Kinky Boots. I think she helped yeah. co-write Kinky Boots. And um, she and I, we've known each other. She got her start here in the Bay at the Darkroom Theater, the former Darkroom Theater, before it closed its doors. And we did all sorts of things like the Twilight Zone and the Gong Show and uh, just all sorts of crazy fun stuff. So her birthday uh, is Thursday. And then um, Paul Baird McCormick, a fantastic actor. He and I worked... A long, long time ago, EastEnders used to do a thing called 100 Years, um, and we did 100 Years of Political Theater. No, I'm sorry. He and I, we worked, we did Hedda Gobbler, mm -hmm. and he was the love interest of Hedda. <coughs> so in any case, uh, his birthday is Friday the 10th, and that is it, and I'm sure there are many other birthdays that are going on. Everyone, happy birthday, and there are a couple of shows that are going on. Um, a, br a New Brain at the Tabard Theater. It opens January the 10th through the 26th. A good friend of mine, Marla Cox, a fantastic soul singer, will be in the show. Uh, Marla is episode 44 of the Yay. Also, uh, on the 17th of January, uh, How to Transcend a Happy Marriage. That'll be at the Custom Aid Theater. That opens January the 17th through February the 9th. Um, a show that closes tomorrow, Vinegar Tom. Shotgun Players, uh, that closes tomorrow. A good friend of mine, Celia Maurice, uh, a for another former EastEnderer, and she is episode 38 of The A. She uh, will be in the show. And that is it. Uh, a good friend of mine, Radhika Rao, our good friend Radhika Rao, <laughs> I love is uh, teaching improv. As a matter of fact, she's another teacher at ACT. She's teaching intro to improv. You'll learn a lot, and you'll have a lot of fun. I'll have a link so you can click on the link so you can find out more about it, and you can sign up. And I think that'll be seven short classes. And uh, as a matter of fact, you're a teacher as well. Are there any classes that, that people can sign up to learn from you? Yeah, we have um, classes upcoming at the Stage Bridge um, Senior Theater Company in Oakland. Okay. Um, I think we still have a few sp slots open for the Fundamental of Acting beginning class. Um, Starting next week, it's going to be a 10-week class um, at, uh, oh my goodness, First Congregational Church. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right <laughs> it's on. across a Lake Merritt. Um, I think the advanced acting class that I, that I am teaching there is currently full. No, um, oh, okay. Well, uh, is there a link that people can, um, yes. can at least find out more about it? Absolutely. Okay. I will send that to you. Sure, um, sure, not a problem at all. Yeah. And what about new shows, upcoming shows that, that you'll be in or directing? I'm going to be uh, workshopping um, Emily Lou by Bonnie D. Alvarez at Playwrights Foundation, and we're going to be performing that 
at the Stanford University and at Theater No Space in the mission. And then I will be assistant directing Gloria at ACT, which opens February 13th um, of next month for previews, running until April. So super, super looking forward to those projects. And Fantastic. very, very <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah, I will, uh, yeah, we'll definitely uh, be uh, highlighting all of that stuff. And uh, thank you once again for being thank on. Thank you so much for having me here. <coughs> this has been a pleasure and a joy to, to talk to you all about <laughs> theaters and <laughs> the right. community and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also just great seeing you again. You and I, we were on, um, we were at the uh, Playwright Center for San Francisco yeah. and uh, just working new pieces and stuff. And you never know who you're going to meet. And uh, just, I had no idea that, you know, that you were graduating out of Berkeley and uh, that you, you know, would be directing and doing all these uh, great stuff. So, you know, it's, it's very cool. Small yeah. world. Small, small world. world. <laughs> small community. Exactly. In, in the Bay Area. All right. Well, here's my blurb. You can find the A. You're listening to it already, but you can find the A on any podcast that you listen to your podcasts on uh, Apple, di uh, on the podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. Uh, if you look at your, listen to your laptops on, la if you listen to your podcasts on a laptop, then you can find the yay on the Apple iTunes app. Just go on the, uh, click on iTunes, go on the store, use the search engine on the upper left-hand side, you can find us. If you are a uh, Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com. The yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you can find me at Red Space Clegg. You can find Norman at Hoosier Hoosier. How about you, Eli? Do you uh, have Twitter, Snapchat, any of that stuff? Yes, I have an Instagram at the Orkiza, T H E O R Q U I Z A. Okay. And you can find more about my work at EliSunnyOrkiza.org. Ah, fantastic! You have a website. There you go. So if you're looking for a fantastic actor or a director, by all means, hit up uh, Eli Orkiza, and uh, you can't go wrong. And as we say here, you gotta find a better sign off, and we are out.